Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. We acknowledge the traditional owners of country throughout Australia and recognise their continuing connection to land, waters and culture. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Welcome to This Song Is Yours, a music podcast where we chat to a new guest each week, talk about their life and creative endeavours, and talk to them about some of the music they love. Our show works by chatting to our guests about music, their songwriting techniques, and occasionally getting them to make you a playlist of the songs they love. Welcome to episode 187. I'm your host, Simon Fink. Our guest today is Montaigne. The Australian singer and songwriter returned last Friday with their third studio record, Making It. In today's episode, we're speaking with Montaigne about their creative process, working with David Byrne, and how this record will be translated into a live setting. Here we go. Our guest today is a Sydney-born singer-songwriter. They're known for the success of their previous records, Glorious Heights and Complex, respectively, winning Best Breakthrough Artist at the ARIA Awards in 2016 and representing Australia at the Eurovision Song Contest in 2021. Last week, they released their brilliant third record, Making It. Please welcome to This Song Is Yours, Montaigne. Hello. Hi. <laughs> How are you today? I'm really well. Um, you know, just I went, I went shopping <laughs> and I got some new jeans and that was nice. And I got my, as I was saying to you before, got my film back from me and my partner's New Zealand trip and it looks really good. So everything's gravy. That's awesome. I think, um, I look, I'm not sure how old you are and I know it's impolite to ask a lady her age, but I found as I get older, there's a bit like jean shopping is actually really satisfying. <laughs> I don't really have any strong feelings about it. I like, <laughs> I don't, um, I don't know. I, I sort of, I, I'm not very good at eyeballing whether or not jeans are cut in the way that I want them to I kind of just have to try them on and see what happens. I generally know. I think I'm like a, I mean, I'm generally like a small or whatever. So in that ballpark, even if it is larger, I'll just like, you know, wear them low or like tie a belt around it or something. So Anyway, that was not, that was completely <laughs> mundane, but who cares? <laughs> <laughs> it is a, no, no, no. I appreciate the honesty with that. Um, it is a very, very exciting week for you. Uh, we are about to be blessed with a brand new Montaigne record in the form of Making It, which comes out this Friday. Congratulations. Thank you kindly. Of course, of course. This record, having a listen to it, we were very lucky um, to be given a, a bit of a sneak preview of, of this record um is it it is extremely fun it is sonically challenging and i mean that in a in a positive way it's very keeps the listener on its toes it's a brilliant record so congratulations oh awesome thank you so much uh yeah no i feel really good about it yeah and as you should <laughs> this record is the the third under the montane project and i'm i'm curious just from the get-go 
Uh, I feel like the the cliche is always that it's the difficult second record that kind of shows whether artists have what it takes to continue, whatever it may be. As this is the third, how did you feel coming into this record? Was there less pressure on this or were you just kind of going in however you kind of wanted to? I think it's a bit of column A and column B. I generally go into record wanting to do whatever I want to do. I don't really make compromises in that regard, I don't think. Um, but I would be lying if I said that I didn't feel like the pressure to also produce something that makes what I do commercially viable and like have me be able to still make like a living wage slash more than just a living wage <laughs> on, on, on the back of my music career. So... I don't know. The thing is I've always been interested in pop music and playing in that field. And I know if I continue to do that, there will be opportunities for like growing audience and things like that. So, you know, that's already built into my psyche and the way I make music. So I don't have to worry about that too much. Um, And I think because of that, when I do go into the studio and I'm like, okay, this is the wavelength I'm on. This is the aesthetic I want to try and build. This is the themes and whatever that I want to write about. Um, I, I try not to be too like conscious of, I don't know, social, societal, commercial expectations. Um, Cause I think that kind of just like, kills <laughs> kills like <laughs> genuine creativity so um yeah 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 no I can very much appreciate that and understand that uh the title is making it and I guess talking a little bit about having music be commercially viable and also wanting to uh as you mentioned not kind of have to give in on any of your artistic integrity where did the title come from in relation to making it? Because it could be about the the process of making the album as in you're in the middle of making something. It could be, as you refer to success, like, yeah, for you, where did this title kind of stem from? It is all of the above. I did choose it because of like how like multitudinous the meanings can be. Um, partly, I mean, I, th- I think it initially struck me because of the idea of like making and creating something from scratch and and the process of that and and the trials and tribulations of, of striving for that just because this album was very much like it went on a lot of, it went on a winding journey to become what it is. (laughs) And part of it was my own sort of like unnecessary interference with the work like obviously I'm the one making it and helping shepherd it, but I I did just throw a curveball at myself and it um, with this sort of like retconned idea that I'd make it like a space concept album. And, <laughs> you know, that I think itself sort of stemmed from this really transient place of either insecurity or just like a, a sort of contemporary passion Um and, you know, once I had some space outside of it and realized like this album was not a space concept record, like none of the songs really worked that way. Um, and it sort of just came back to the core, which was just that it was mostly songs written about like me and my partner's relationship and who I've become in this relationship. Um, th- that made more sense and was easier to sort of like, you know, create the rest of the aesthetic and vision around. Um and so, yeah, just I wanted the 
title to describe the the sort of yeah the winding path that is like creating a thing and all the left turns that you take and then only to do two more left turns and come back around um (laughs) and yeah and then the other meanings as well is just like success and what it means to make it uh, especially as my definition of it has changed and also like making it in a friendship or a relationship and like overcoming the hurdles that you know arise and and, and sort of the, the bridging the conflict or you know differences between the two of you and 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 making it through that without like giving up and quitting um yeah very very Fair. I think um, the the record. Well, I wonder just like quickly touching on that last bit, and I know that I can recognise this is a bit of a loaded question. Um, in in your mind, do you feel ever that you have made it, or is it like a continuing? Sorry, not a continuing, a ever moving kind of goalpost that just seems to shift and move when it when it chooses. It does a little bit. I think that's. Um... I think that's just a product of capitalism and the sort of continuous growth that is expected of all like businesses and people uh, in terms of building their capital, whichever kind that is. Um, I'm very content with where I'm at right at this moment. Um, in terms of my career, I feel really good about it. Like I make enough money to do this full time. I, I'm not famous enough to like have it really be cumbersome to my life and just enough for like there to be neat little perks. And, um, yeah, I'm in a good place. It's just, uh, maintaining that I think is also difficult, even though I don't necessarily want to grow it too much. Like I'd like to tour overseas. I think that's something that I'd, you know, that's a moving goalpost that I would still like to strive for. But um, yeah, just for me, it feels more like a maintenance game. Um, And that is difficult with the way that technology and the like social technology that governs us at the moment and culture like keeps evolving like extremely rapidly and in a way that I don't really bode well with like I you know things seem to there's a real TikTokification of social media in the world <laughs> that like I as a consumer enjoy because I think like I I like not the business practices of but like the content of TikTok uh but I don't really want to be a producer of content on TikTok, but I kind of have to be now because Instagram has like also shifted their sort of like format and their model to be more like TikTok and all that stuff. So, you know, I, I, I think, um, yeah, just to go back to the core question, like my definition of success is just to like have a stable, life <laughs> and, like, and I, I more or less do except for like just the figuring out how to how to keep up with the next moment and the next moment and the next moment that comes along materially and culturally and stuff like that um which is admittedly very stressful um but it feels less like a uh you know goal to become legendary and more of a goal to just be comfortable and happy. <laughs> yeah. 
I can very much appreciate that. And I can, we've spoken to a few artists about the, the shift from becoming just an artist to an artist slash social media hmm. personality. And, and I don't want to focus on that too much. I want to get back to this album, but to kind of tie it together, I think that you've done very well in the content or the music that you've got for said content that might come out is quite fun. The, um, as we mentioned, this album is quite upbeat. It's quite fun. Uh, sonically beautiful. One of my favorite tracks from this album was JC Ultra, which I can <laughs> kind of see across some social media platforms mm. at, just due to its, um, I want to, I want to say fun nature. I'm trying to think of a better word for fun, but it was literally <laughs> when I was listening to the album, I was kind of taken aback and then had to revisit it one, one or two times. But, uh, yeah. are you able to, I guess, give us a little bit of an insight or a peek behind the curtain on where, where this crazy but brilliant song kind of started from <laughs> and came, came from. It's so funny because I, when we made this song, I was like, I want to do this for Eurovision. And then I played it, like I sent it to everyone. I was like, this is my Eurovision song. And I played it to my parents, I played it to everyone. And everyone was like, it's really weird. <laughs> I was like, I was like, I what? Like this is just like a boppy, fun pop song. Like I don't understand what is confronting. Like what? I don't get it. Like I think this is just normal. But everyone unanimously was just like, this is too challenging for people. And I was like, oh, okay. So anyway, I like. I, um, I'm glad you like it one and, uh, two. So I, (laughs) it came from like a convoluted beginning and middle. Um, but I was reading this book called how to change your mind by Michael, Michael Pollan. And he mentions like the MK ultra program that the CIA sort of like had going in. I don't remember what era it was like seventies or eighties, maybe or sixties. Um, and yeah, it was just like a, brainwash program trying to use like LSD and hallucinogens to like see if they could basically change people's minds um, and, you know, propagandize them. And I was like, wouldn't it be fun if I wrote a song where (laughs) Jessica Cerro, who is my, that's my real name, was my manager, (laughs) but like was a really intense, like almost like American, like I'm promising you the world, but probably like going to under deliver like in psycho manager (laughs) and just like trying to condition me to do all of the stuff that is required of me in my career, but that I don't really want to do. Um, so like the social stuff and like just being like, you know, a public personality. It's not stuff I like necessarily like hate. I just wish the 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 accepted styles of personality were like a little more suited to my personality. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but anyway, yeah. What if what if it was external per- version of me telling myself like you have to do this and just like brainwashing brainwashing or conditioning me to like just be into it but then I was like oh it's kind of like hard to explain in a three minute song so it ended up just like organically evolving within the day to be about like an alien group who has like settled on earth but like humans are still a bit like suspicious and not fully accepting and they don't assume any positions of power on earth and stuff and um, so they start like, well, like a contingent of this alien group, like starts a 
major music label <laughs> through which they like sign artists promising, you know, wealth and fame or whatever people want, I suppose, when they sign to these big labels. And, um, and in the process, like kind of the movie that came into my head was Zoolander and how like, <laughs> what's his name? Mag- Magu, ma- ma- uh, Magatu? Magatu, Magatu. <laughs> how Magatu has like that chamber that he puts Zoolander in and he just like, it's got relax, uh, whatever. I don't remember the band that sings that song. But anyway, you know the scene <laughs> and there's just like the swirls and I like imagined it like that and then they come out and they're like ready to like be spreading the word about how great the aliens are and it's so great that they came to earth and like you know my yeah whatever all that shit it's like not that deep it's very me just like being silly and I you know I hadn't filled in any of the details of this concept um but I just thought it would be like a fun and funny song to make and I think it is (laughs) I would have to agree that it is it is a very fun song and I'm so glad that I asked for the um the explanation behind it because that is not what I was expecting and that was just brilliant so thank you very much for that um, no problem no problem um you are not alone on making it there are a few guests one I know that everyone's kind of talking about we will talk about in a second the first guest I wanted to talk about was the Japanese French artist Micah and I want to make sure I pronounce her last name correctly because I'm I think there's a silent p but I could be wrong is it loot no I think well this is the thing I speak French but and so I've made assumptions about how to pronounce her last name. I think it's Michael, like, Lute, like, Lubte. I say Lubte in English, like, Michael Lubte. Um, mm. Yeah. <laughs> That's probably a lot better than my pronunciation, so thank you for that. Um, I know that she uh, collaborated with you on Comet to Death, which is the last track of the album. How did that uh, collaboration come about? So I had written all of Comet Death already. We'd pretty much finished it. I'd sung second verse and the bridge and the whole thing and but I'd been I'd made like online friends with Micah because I really love her music and we wanted to do something together but I didn't know why and after like months and months and months like I was like oh shit like she could absolutely sing on this song like it would make so much sense her voice is beautiful I'd love to like have her on board um and yeah I asked her and she was like yeah absolutely and just did it really quickly just send me the files over whatsapp and yeah it just like happened and that one that one was one of the sort of like less exciting stories <laughs> about getting her on board it, like we met just because i tweeted or instagram dm'd her or something i don't remember anymore and was just like i love your music and fortunately she liked me back <laughs> um and yeah that was kind of it just like internet friends that's very cool and i love these days, a lot of the artists that we speak to, it does seem to be that you can just kind of cut out a lot of that. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. 
Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Um, I want to say middleman mm. work, and that's no disrespect to the labels or whatever, but it's more so that you can just go artist to artist directly now and, and interact and uh, collaborate. 100%. It's been wonderful, like just discovering and realizing and opening my heart to that possibility over the last couple of years and just like, yeah, swapping stems with people and seeing what happens. It's been real fun. I, I do have to ask, because I know there's going to be quite a few people wanting to know, <laughs> is that the same of how it happened for uh, one young David Byrne who appears <laughs> on two tracks of this record? Kind of, not the same platforms, but basically Dave Hammer, who is the producer on this record, was like, we have to get David on this because I just always talk about (laughs) David Byrne with him. I think we met like five years prior to working together, like, but in a real passing way, like I didn't remember meeting him. He was like, oh, we met like at a songwriting camp like five years ago or whatever when we started working together two years ago. And, um... And I was even talking about David Byrne then, apparently. (laughs) Um, So, I mean, not surprising to me because, you know, he's my favorite and has been for a long time. But, um, yeah, Dave was like, we have to do it. And I was like, I don't know how to do that. So if you can figure it out, like, let me know. And he got his manager at the time to just, like, email a guy who knows a guy who knows a guy. And there was a guy who had his email and was like, just send him one and see what happens. And so I did, I just sent an email with like, it was like an essay. It was like, hi, this is me. I'm making this album. This is what it's about. This is its politics. This is like the whole thing. And I wrote this specific song, Gravity, for you to sing on. Like, let me know if you're keen. And he replied like within 12 hours and was like, hi, Jess, great to meet you. Like, it's weird I haven't heard your music before because I, like, listen really broadly and deeply. Um, Can't wait to, like, listen. Uh, Let me just, like, digest and process this and I'll get back to you. And I was like, (gasps) (laughs) (laughs) wow. Um, And, yeah, so that was kind of it. Like, he sort of didn't reply again I think, oh, like he did, I I said something back and then he said something back and then I didn't hear from him for a few months. Like he didn't like send back anything about the songs or anything. And I was kind of like, you know what, that's fine. Like, I'm just glad he replied and he said he'd like listen to my music. Like even if this doesn't work out and he doesn't come on the album, then that's still really cool. And then a few months later, he was like, oh, I just like finished like rehearsals for American Utopia. So I'm free now, like send me the stuff again. And I'm like keen to listen. And I was like, Oh yeah, here. And he was like, Oh, these are all hits to me. Like, I, I love this. <laughs> I like this specific thing about this song. And I like this specific thing about this song. And like, it was really like thorough feedback. That was really lovely. And he was really supportive. And he was like, yeah, I'd absolutely love to be on these songs. So he did end up singing gravity. And then inevitably we were like, how about also always be you? And because that song had like, I'd written the first verse and second verse and like all the choruses, but the bridge was still empty and I didn't know what to put there. Um, And so I was like, maybe you could do the bridge. And then he did. It was perfect. I was like, okay, 
this is cool, but also it feels a bit weird only having you in the bridge. Like <laughs> it doesn't really make sense narratively if we are to say there's a narrative here. And so I was like, can you sing the second verse as well? And then he did. And it was perfect. And he did ad libs and backing vocals and stuff like that. And it was all perfect. And it was all very easy. And that again was just like sending stems like over email back and forth. Um, so yeah, that was, he just answered my email. <laughs> That's incredible. I love that story. <laughs> he's a he's a good he's a good egg. <laughs> I was like I was like tossing and turning over whether or not to say egg or not. I do I I call people good eggs, uh, but I do wonder if it's like a patronizing thing to someone who's like you know much older and much more established <laughs> and like legendary than I am. But he is a good egg. <laughs> I don't think from all accounts that I've heard of David Byrne from everything in the media and um, we, oh my God, we had his musical, the musical director of American Utopia, um, uh, Mauro Rafosco. He also has his own band who we had on the podcast last year. And by all accounts, he said very similar things. He might not have called him an egg, but very very similar words to say about him. And I don't think he'd be, I think he would kind of embrace the term egg. Oh yeah, I think so as well. Also, Mauro played on my 2019 album, Complex. He played on I'm a Clown. Um, And I think that's it. I think that's it. Oh, and Change as well. So bringing it all back together, it all just kind of like... <laughs> it is a small world. The music industry, it's a small world. It definitely is. I think that there's some misconception about... Well, it is still a very large world, but there's yeah. a lot of ties that people don't really realise. Um, the The album is also going to be greeted by fans on the road. You are kind of heading back out to to see this this great nation, I think the end of September and then throughout October... Um, when was the last time you kind of got to to go on such a tour of this scale? Oh, it's been ages. I don't know, <laughs> probably like two or three years. Like, yeah, I don't think I've done a full, fully-fledged national tour for a long time, like before pandemic, basically. I think it was 2019 with the Complex tour. Um, yeah. Are you, are you looking forward to it? Are there nerves? How are you feeling about it? It's, uh, yeah, definitely excited, but also nervous. I like, I don't know. I just haven't had the same frequency of performing that I used to. And so I'm not as like match ready, I suppose. And, um, that's nerve wracking because you kind of just like want to have it in, in the tank and, um, I don't necessarily, but also, I don't know, I think my fans are pretty chill and cool and, like, we'll just be up for being in the space and hearing the music and hearing me, so that's nothing to be too nervous about, I suppose. (laughs) From all accounts that I've heard, um, a lot of people very excited to kind of have you back on the road and see you touring again, so hopefully... This year, excitement will kind of help ease some of those nerves and, and calm some of those um, those those thoughts, I, I guess, in relation to going onto the road and with an album that is such as as large and as as we mentioned, sonically adventurous. Do you not struggle? What's the, what's the phrase? Uh, how, how do you go in turning some of those songs into like a live version of it? Because I imagine that for some, it's a little bit more difficult than others. 
Uh, it's it's not work that I necessarily do. I have a music director and band who sort of focus on the Abletonization of everything, I suppose. <laughs> so we like use a push and we use an SPDSX and we use like laptops and MIDI controls and stuff like that to be able to play things that are like inorganic or not replicable on stage with like live instruments and, you know, just like extra stuff that we just don't have enough hands on deck for. Um, so I'm, I, I imagine for this first run, it'll just be that. I think it will we'll just try to replicate the studio recording as best as possible through, you know, like samples and all that stuff, as well as, you know, whatever is played live, being played live. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think maybe in future shows we might try to make it a bit more like stripped back and not acoustic, but just like a bit more live. Because again, this is, <laughs> the difficulty with this music is that so many of the sounds are synthetic, which means like playing them on live drums just like fundamentally changes the aesthetic and, and, and the feeling and the sound. So that's, it's, it's not like a one-to-one transfer, but also shows feel way better when drums are played live rather than just like <laughs> someone hitting like an SPDSX, I find, at least for this kind of music, because like, I don't know, I think for dance, fine because dance music is just about dancing and like you don't need a live player necessarily to like create the feeling of wanting to dance to a song but I don't know with my music I think like people are always really excited to see my drummer Miles like play because he's amazing and like brings so much energy to it and just like an extreme like commitment to craft and all that stuff. So I don't know. I think it will probably just be largely like trying to figure out how to just be faithful to the recording. But maybe at some point after we've done this sort of like album test run, I suppose, of like the electronics, um, we might change it up. Who knows? As I mentioned before, regardless, I think people are excited to see you back on the road. So I think fans will take whatever they can get in the loveliest, most respectable way. <laughs> they yeah, will, uh, no, 100%. Live drums or synth pads, they will, they will uh, be there regardless. Um, uh, Jess, we would usually ask our guests what they're currently listening to, if there is anything that is on high rotation for yourself at the moment. What am I listening to at the moment? I haven't, like, been listening to bodies of work much lately it's been very piecemeal sort of song here song there but my favorite albums of the year so far are this album called Nia by um, Kahu Nakamura so that's like N-I-A um she's like my favorite she's amazing I'm a huge fan of that album I was waiting for it like avidly for two years and it really paid off it's a really good album um and Oh, Porter Robinson. I've gotten into his album from, I think, last year. I think he released it last year, Nurture, this year. Um, That's really beautiful. I've also been getting back into, like, Utada Hikaru, who's, like, this big Japanese sort of, like, superstar who made the music for Kingdom Hearts. Or not all of the music, but, like, the theme songs. And I was a big fan of her when I was 12. Um, And then sort of just, like, didn't return or would listen to a couple of songs here and there throughout, like, my life. But now I'm like, well, she released an album this year called Bad Mode, basically, and it's really good as well. So um been listening to her a lot. And same with another Japanese group called M-Flow, who like kind of, I actually don't know when their peak was, but 
I think it's like around 2001 kind of thing or 2001 to 2003. And they're like this hip hop group with a female like vocalist. Um, and the music is really good. Uh, so yeah, I, I really enjoy Japanese music. Like I, I just think the language sounds amazing. It's like super rhythmic and um, very like the, like the way that vowels carry between consonants is just, I just love it. Like my ears just adore it. And I think also like the chords that I use, like the Royal Road progression and stuff, I just like find that stuff to be so, I just love it. I think it's the best. <laughs> so, you know, not all artists sort of write in that way, but I do, I do think there's like maybe some kind of creative like thread tying them all together I get. I don't know. Maybe it's just like the feeling that the language produces, but it it does feel like there's this like unity of feeling in a bunch of the music that I listen to, which is like really wonderful. That's awesome. I feel like um, I know obviously they're worlds away genre wise, if you will, but I think the fact that in the last few years the world has become a lot more accepting of K-pop for one mm. thing has then kind of opened up these other smaller tours that have allowed J-pop and other kinds of different genres of music from these countries to come through and be more wildly accepted, which is um, a fantastic yeah. thing, I think. I think people, yeah, are just like starting to accept that you can listen to and have an emotional response to music in languages you don't understand. Like I... I've always felt this way. Like, I don't understand Japanese. I don't understand, like, well, I didn't understand much Portuguese. I didn't, like, you know, I've always listened to music in other languages, but I've always, like, loved all of it, you know, not because of or despite them being in other languages, just because it's music and it sounds good. (laughs) You know, like, I don't... I also don't need to understand the lyrics in order, yeah, to have to derive meaning from music. And I think people, again, like are learning that a little bit. Like it's not just, you know, Asian language songs. Like also America has a massive like Latinx population. So obviously like a lot of the hits now are in Spanish and like, you know, I I think like as we become more and more and more globalized and that's just like, I don't know, I feel like we're on an exponential like curve that will eventually produce like, I don't know, maybe not an exponential curve. Maybe there'll be diminishing returns, but like, yeah, I think we're just going to get more and more used to that. And we're going to hear more and more like foreign language, like on radio or whatever. 100% agreed. I think um, there's a, and this is not a question. This is mainly just a, almost a, a reference or a tip. I'm not sure if you uh, have, have a Netflix account, there's a TV show on there called Crash Landing Into You, which is a K-drama. Cool. Um, and the music from that show, it elicits so much response. And it, I think it's at one point it was quite popular as like the number eight show in the world. So it seems to be connecting outside oh, wow. of Korea. But, yeah, definitely worth checking out just in terms of, um, as you mentioned, music and having a, an emotional response where you don't have to understand the lyrics. Sick. Love it. <laughs> It's a very odd reference to end on. That's <laughs> <laughs> fine. I'm, I'm into it. I love a, I love a music anything, a music recommendation. I'll make sure that we put those recommendations from yourself into the show notes of this podcast. Um, but Jess Montaigne, thank you very much for your time this afternoon. I do appreciate it. Congratulations again on making it, which is out later this week. 
Oh, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. And that's our show. A massive thank you to Montaigne for their time. Making It is out now, and we've left links in the show notes if you'd like to buy the record. We also want to give a huge shout out to Nick at Sony Music Australia for helping out with today's interview. If you like this show, please subscribe wherever you get your pods and stay up to date when new episodes are released. We release new shows each Wednesday and Friday morning, and we now have a Patreon, which you can find within the show notes of this episode. You can follow the player's profile on Spotify, and you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. Until next week, cheers. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.